it's a posse. We've got this Western theme going and we're just so talking like a bunch of dudes in 2020. Should we be saying, welcome to the posse, partners? Just <laughs> wondering. Do it. And that's where we should. Yeehaw! Welcome to yeah. the posse. There's a um, snake in my boot. <laughs> Somebody pours in the water hole. <laughs> so not editing any of this. Oh, out. no. no keep that. that has to stay. That has to stay. <laughs> Oh man, that's freaking classic! <laughs> oh gosh, that was part Festus from Gunsmoke and Woody from Toy Story. <laughs> About seven other I western. I was thinking of the Yeehaw scene <laughs> from Red River with John Wayne and Montgomery Cliff. Okay, now that's City Slickers, but we can move on. <laughs> Welcome to episode three of the Plastic Posse podcast. Now with even more caffeine and improved audio, we've received some feedback from a couple of listeners and we really, really appreciate that. Uh, we've improved our sound quality. Hopefully you can hear that and also the editing and pacing of the episode. So look forward to that and continue to give us that feedback. We really, really appreciate it. We're just learning and uh, getting a little bit better each episode. Got a fun episode planned. TJ does a really deep dive into his Warhammer finishing techniques for both his figures and also his vehicles. And we also have an interview with a YouTuber. So stay tuned towards the end of the episode and uh, check that out. Anyway, let's get going with the show. I'm really lucky to be joined by two of my best buddies who also both happen to be amazing modelers. First, we have our official Chicago Cubs fanboy and pop culture specialist, Doug Smith. How you doing, Doug? I'm doing all right, but oh, the Cubs, are they playing baseball right now? <laughs> I think they are. I think they have a, a, a good pitcher and a hitter or something. They, there's some, some bats and some balls. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, they, they did win a World Series in 2016, so well, they got was, that going That was a beautiful them. thing. Also, uh, once again, joining us from his secret laboratory somewhere near our nation's capital. We're not sure exactly where. We have our painting sorcerer, TJ Holler. How you doing, TJ? Oh, pretty good. Just enjoying a nice, quiet evening. Got my cat Kylo sitting in my lap here and uh, ready to get into this. Oh, I'm sneezing already. <laughs> <laughs> what better way to do a podcast than with your cat on your lap? That's great. So, um, yeah, it's just uh, time to do episode three. It's really moving along fast here. We have lots to talk about today. So uh, let's get started. So I just wanted to remind our listeners to tune in and listen to our sister scale modeling podcast on the bench, plastic model mojo and scale model podcasts. These are all great podcasts and we are huge fans and they have been extremely supportive of us and we cannot thank them enough. Also, Another reminder to support the Golden Sprue Awards over at www.goldensprueawards.com. Warren Starrett has put together a way for modelers to nominate their favorite new kits in several different genres, plus other categories like best paint, best aftermarket, etc. So everyone, please head over to www.goldensprueawards.com and start nominating all your favorites. 
I want to say he's even doing some giveaways for people that nominate. So that's something to look forward to. Right. He's doing them weekly. Yeah. So he's not doing them all at the end. He's going to do them as he goes along. It's a pretty cool website. I've checked it out myself and uh, voted. So yeah, I recommend you do the same thing. So Doug, do we get any hobby shout out hobby shop shout outs? We surely did. Emilio Cuesta sent us this. He would, he says, I would love to give a shout out to my local hobby store, Burbank's House of Hobbies, of course, in Burbank, California. They have been around since 1952. The owners, Glenn and Ken, keep up with the best products, model kits of all genres and die casts. They are huge supporters of the hobby, and they refer new enthusiasts to the local club and sponsor prizes and numerous modeling shows. Rob Morrison, another hobby shop shout out, Gundam Plus in Melbourne. The owner, Daryl, is a modeler who is aiming to have an old-style shop where you can meet up, have a build session, or a chat. Apologize to the many other shops in Melbourne. He, he just called out the one, and he loves, loves you all. But uh, keep it coming. If you've got any shout-outs, let us know. We want to hear what you got and who's, who's taking care of you out there. Yeah, that's a great point, Doug. Now's a good time to kind of remind our listeners, uh, we love your feedback. Uh, love to hear what you think about what we're doing, suggestions for future shows, comments on what we've already talked about, positive or negative. You can send us that feedback at our Facebook page, the aptly uh, titled Plastic Posse Podcast. So you can go there and find us there. And we'd love to see your posts and also uh, some pictures of your builds that you're doing. Become a member of the Posse and join in and help us. If email's more your speed, you can also reach us at Plastic Posse Podcast at gmail.com. And you're welcome to go ahead and email that to us. But uh, we, uh, to be honest, we kind of prefer the Facebook page. I think that's uh, something that we're trying to build a community there and everybody can kind of participate there. Reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. All right, guys. Uh, do we have any other uh, listener feedback from episode two? We have lots. I, I first have to bring something up. I want, to, I want to apologize if I sound a little funny today. I had a tooth removed last week, and I had kind of a rotten week. And I thought I had this beautiful opportunity to see something I can't wait for, which was one of our Facebook followers, one of our listeners, shared the Mandalorian Season 2 trailer, and I was so stoked because I wasn't feeling good, and this was going to be a big boost. And he freaking rickrolled me, man. Rick Astley <laughs> in the middle of it. Patrick Morales. I'm talking about oh, you, man. Oh man, <laughs> Patrick, that, that Patrick. oh, you're called, you're called out, and you earned it, buddy. Rick rolling, <laughs> Rick rolling, our buddy Doug. Oh, uh, I, I forgive you, Patrick. I really did. That was it. Was a good joke. Yeah, yeah. Forgive us, Patrick. He got me my uh, my Stewart kit, so we can't be too mad at him. So. <laughs> well, well, there's that. Um, one thing we wanted to talk about, and I think everybody might have something to say about this. We are all for whatever feedback you have for us. Positive, we love. Negative, we really appreciate it. All we have is a request. We did get one negative uh, feedback the last week, and it was an insult. We're just not going to re respond to you if that's the case. If you want to say something that we can improve on, let us know, because I'd love, we'd love to discuss it. We want to be friends here, right? Um, we want to share this with you guys, and if you have something to share with us or you think we can change, we're down. But please, just, just don't insult us. We have a positive to start off with. Rob Morrison. Hi, guys. Listen to your second, second episode. Found it entertaining, entertaining, and informative. 
The discussion on painting is most interesting as most of us tend to stick to what we know. It was good to hear about your experiences with various types of paint. When I got back into the hobby, I started using Tamiya acrylics and found them to be easy to use, thinned easily for airbrushing with either isopropyl alcohol or methylated spirits. Now I use Mr. Color self-leveling thinner at a one-to-one ratio, which works really well. I agree, Rob. I really do. That's, that's a wonderful combination. I've now started using SMS lacquers and find them easy to spray, are quick drying, and the finish is quite tough. I look forward to you discussing clear coats. Keep up the great work. P.S. Have you heard of the Model Car Podcast? It's Canadian-based. I've actually listened to a couple of episodes of that, and you know, none of us natively do a lot of cars, and so this is something that we're going to probably need to look into and bring some automotive content in for those of our listeners that like building cars. I like the podcast. It's pretty well done, and it's three guys that seem to have a good rapport with each other. Um, as far as SMS paints, I'm jealous that they're out of Australia. We do have one distributor here in the U.S. Um, I don't have any yet, but um, everybody that I've heard talk about them, obviously Dave in our last show spoke very highly of them, um, says they're just terrific. TJ, you you have any experience with this? Uh, no, not yet. I also, I've been eyeing a few, so I looked to add some to my collection. Cool. I, I, my experience with cars is I drive a car <laughs> and I, I believe Scott and TJ might also too. We have that going for us. I do have a car model. I have a one-to-one scale 2001 Toyota 4Runner that I'm always playing with. And it, it's more or less a scale model. It sits in the garage most of the time until I play with it some more and upgrade it. Hey, if any of our, if any of our listeners have car model recommendations, like who makes good cars, let us know. Because we're all willing to give it a try. I just uh, don't want to get lost in a bad kit. Oh, the Tommy and Mustang. I know that's good. Their new one, whatever, one one 124th or one one 125th just came out like a couple months ago. So that is one car model I do want because I'm a Mustang fan because I used to have one. I watched a couple of build videos on it. It looks pretty nice. You know, it's funny you bring that up, TJ, that uh, model car podcast. The last episode I listened to was all kind of around that kit. And they're so good that the car guys are just snatching them up. These three guys, a couple of them hadn't even been able to get their hands on one yet because the supply was, you know, far, uh, far less than the actual demand for the kit. So they, they were just saying, you know, that the kit is amazing. So yeah, that'd, that'd be one to target for sure. All right, moving on. Hector Cologne. Hey guys, just listened to the podcast and I wanted to tell you great job. I'm sure you will find your niche. During this pandemic nonsense, I found podcasts to be my escape. I build primarily 148 scale aircraft, but I also love painting my blood angels. All right, we get some Warcraft action here. I am also with the Butch O'Hare Model Club here in the Chicagoland and will spread the word as to the new podcast to check out. Thank you. Thank you very much, Hector. I'm going to butcher this name and please (laughs) forgive me. Demir Medric or Medric. uh, Good episodes, both of them. And that idea of join podcasting at a competition like the IPMS 2021 Nationals sounds great. Cheers. Oh, thank you. Eric Carvina. I listened to episode two on my way back, my way to work. And I have to say, it's not, it's not very good for that purpose because it made me want to call in sick, turn around, go home and spend the day building models. It's the same energy I get from attending IPMS meetings and model shows, but oddly even more intense. I think I'm going to have to only listen to future episodes on the drive home. 
thanks for putting this together, guys. I never listened to podcasts before. Really, I turned in to support TJ, not because I was interested in podcasts, but now I plan on giving some of the other other podcasts you had mentioned a try as well. I really appreciate you guys broadening my horizons. So Eric is a buddy of mine that I met at our uh, local IPMS chapter, IPMS Nova. I think I met him uh, the f- my first meeting that I attended. It was only a couple years ago. We have uh, we have a lot in common as far as what we like to build. He's also he likes to build uh, X Wing or uh, Star Wars and science fiction uh, stuff as well. Thanks, Eric. Yeah, thank you very much. And Mark Ewing, just wanted to say well done on your podcast. Another great model podcast along along song the same, the other three. I think you meant alongside, maybe alongside the other three. I'll be very interested to hear more on your sci-fi stuff, etc. Maybe in an episode, maybe an episode to start in scale modeling, airbrush spray booth, YouTube channels, Facebook groups. Keep up the great work. All things that we'd love to talk about. Yeah, hopefully, Mark, uh, you uh, you heard episode two where we kind of broke down the basic types of airbrush paints and kind of the pros and cons of each of those. If you didn't. Uh, hop on back and listen to that one. Um, I think it's a really good start. And then uh, we're going to take a similar approach as we start creating more content. You know, we'll build a a foundation on some of these really basic approaches to the different parts of the hobby, and then we'll get a little bit more advanced as we go along. All right. Tony Jacobs' feedback is wanting more information on TJ's guns painting recipe. He's referring to uh, the Warhammer 40k stuff that uh, TJ's been sharing, especially the uh, Stompy McStomperson Warhammer mech guy that he did. What's that called, TJ? An Invictor Tactical Warsuit. Probably about the dumbest name ever. Stompy McStomperson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Tony had asked me about it, and it, here's the trick. It's using like three different, uh, I think four paints, but you make it look like there's way more work involved and really it couldn't be any easier. It's a Vallejo metal color, gunmetal gray, which is um, like an acrylic all clad style paint is designed for the airbrush, but you can brush paint it just fine. It, it covers really well. So prime black paint, all the metal parts, gunmetal gray, dry brush it with a lighter color metallic. I used Vallejo model air steel which does not look like steel at all. It looks more like silver, but whatever. And then you paint the casing uh, a dark gray, kind of black. I use Vallejo model color black gray, which is a, like almost like a NATO black style black. So it's not really black. It's more like a dark gray. And then you dry brush, stipple it with um, a light gray. I use medium sea gray. And that just kind of gives it a worn look. And then you give all the metal pieces uh, an acrylic wash with brown you know, any brown would use i use the games workshop one just because that's what i have um it has a dumb name so that's not even that important just use a brown acrylic wash and boom you're done it's and it looks way more complicated than it is and it took all of a couple of minutes like super easy wouldn't be easier uh-huh <laughs> you should try it doug i should try it yeah i think so if i can do it anyone can do it okay what do you what do you want me to do what do you think i should do where do i start uh i don't know just Go to the store, look at some Warhammer stuff, and find something that looks cool. That's that's how I got into it. And I was like, oh, these guys look cool. I'll buy these. And many, many hundreds or thousands of dollars later, I have a whole collection. 
This sounds great. We we uh, we're always uh, trying to find new stuff for Doug to try. What do you say, Doug? Uh, I'm not sure what my wife's going to say because this is going to be something I have to buy this stuff. <laughs> okay, I'll take that risk. How many of you? Speaking of wives, how many of you when you talk about modeling or or now the podcast? How many eye rolls do you guys get? Uh, not too much. My wife's pretty used to me talking about it, so <laughs> she keeps telling me she's going to listen to our podcast, but I don't know if she has. I think maybe she listened to like a couple minutes of the of the first one. I got good feedback though, so I have a, I have a couple of sisters in Washington that logged on and uh, listened to our first episode uh, just because they wanted to support me, and I had to send them a I am so sorry Facebook <laughs> message because neither one of them have any idea about anything to do with scale modeling, so. I said my apologies, but it was nice of them to hop on there and at least try it for me. So that was good of them. I've got a couple friends in California I got listening, and they don't build models either, but they're willing to support. That's cool. All right, we have one more piece of feedback we wanted to talk about. Um, a listener named Kip Jackson. He told us, "Guys, I'm listening for the first time to your podcast, and I'm about 14 minutes into it, and the editing editing sounds a bit odd. Like Scott sounds like he's talking in run-on sentences without hardly breathing." So we were listening to this, and he's absolutely right. So that's something we're trying to address in this episode. Thank you so much, Kip, for your your feedback. We really appreciate it. Welcome to the posse, guys, and thanks for the feedback. Uh, Time for current project updates. Uh, Let's talk about what everybody's been working on. I've got my little USS Shenzhou update for you guys. It's it's almost done. I've almost got all the decals on that little thing. It's kind of getting into the home stretch where I'm, uh, you know, e- eager to finish it and move on to other things. And so I'm excited to to do that, but it'll be done soon. I'll post some pictures as promised, but uh, I've enjoyed it more than I thought, but, you know, not eager to buy another kit that has so many decals anytime soon. I still haven't changed my position on that for sure. Also finished uh, painting the engines and the body of my droid for my little Bandai X-Wing. And then I have some weathering to do, and then that will be finished. I'll post some pictures of that. That's my that's my green X-Wing that I uh, based on a uh, Phoenix Squadron fighter. And so hopefully you guys will like that. A little bit off the beaten path there. I did build my first Warhammer 40K figure, TJ. I built a Tau. That was kind of fun. The kit's a little bit older. I I had to do a little bit of filling and sanding and, and stuff like that. But overall, he's pretty cool. I think he's kind of a robot dude. I don't know much about the towel, but I have two or three others to do as well. But so far, uh, I got one finished. Nice. Welcome to the grim darkness of the far future. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. I think <laughs> I'll be I'll be following uh, your your coaching of. Uh, of uh, Doug with interest over here in the corner. So Doug, uh, what's on your bench? What's your update for, for this week? Uh, you know what? I I'm embarrassed to say I've done very, very little. And most of that due to that, that, uh, the teeth extraction, I spent a week feeling just like garbage. I, I, I didn't even want to move. So, um, I didn't do much in the last two weeks. I did do a little bit of, uh, some sponge chipping on the, uh, the Warhammer hammer tank my son asked me to build and a little bit more weathering that way. Otherwise I've been kind of uh, dead to the world for, for a little while, but I'm feeling good now. I'm ready to get back at it. TJ, um, you know, if, if our listeners have been looking at our Facebook page, 
they've seen some of your updates, but uh, talk to us about your Warhammer project. You've got several going at the same time. Oh man, do I ever. So let's see this last weekend, really a uh, Labor Day weekend. I finished the Invictor tactical war suit model. I finished the ironclad dreadnought model. And what else did I finish? Um, oh, that's all I finished. And then, yeah, I built a Space Marine in Pulsar. It's kind of like a hovering armored personnel carrier. And I think that's pretty much it. That's the that's the bulk of what I did. And then I think I, I primed some stuff that I already had built. I built my Sisters of Battle, Battle Sister Squad for the Miniac charity event. So I have exactly, well, I think now I got a little over four weeks to finish. I have to be done by October 1st. So I guess like three and a half weeks. So I got those built and all built. I got a couple of them primed. I started painting one of them to see how the scheme turns out because you follow the scheme he gives you and it looks pretty cool. So I'm going to put a picture up on it, of it up on the Facebook page, probably when we're done recording this of what I have. But yeah, that was, uh, that was my week. You put us to shame, man. Oh man, the beautiful, beautiful stuff. Make sure you guys check out check out TJ's work. And it's not just his work; it's it's the fact that he's saying we. I said I chipped something. Scott worked a little on something. Well, TJ says I finished this and I finished this. And I finished <laughs> well, to, to be we fair, I worked on both the uh, war suit and the dreadnought for probably over a week each. So I'm not that fast. Okay. Well, well, I'm but just I- saying. <laughs> I think I think if we're going to have Doug try new stuff, if I'm trying new stuff, then I think our challenge should be make Scott finish a kit. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Challenge, challenge accepted. You know, in, in all seriousness, um, let, let's talk about this a little bit because TJ, uh, you know, as you've been wrapping these projects up and, and we've challenged Doug to kind of do some of this as well, and I'm interested, but Kind of walk us through um, maybe a, a beginner's primer of TJ's approach to how you're painting these Warhammer figures and and vehicles. Walk us through the you know maybe your painting process and what that looks like. So when I'm painting Warhammer stuff, um, especially the vehicles and the walkers and stuff, not so much with like the infantry figures, but I, unlike a lot of painters that I see on Facebook and even like at the stores that, that I, and other painters that I know, I approach it like I would a, a quote unquote traditional scale model. I don't do a lot of uh, the edge highlighting, which if you are familiar with the games workshop style of painting, everything has an edge highlight, even if it doesn't make sense, like, Oh, Oh, there's a line, there's an edge here. Let's put a highlight on it. Um, that's just the way they do it. I'm not the biggest fan of that because one, I don't think I'm that good at it. And two, it takes longer than I'm willing to, to, to put into it and see, I don't think it looks that realistic. Not that, you know, a 10 foot tall walking robot with a space Marine strapped <laughs> to its stomach is realistic, but you know, uh, I try to treat it like it's an actual machine, like, like I would with a like a tank. Exactly. So you, you're talking about the the system, right? The Games Workshop system yes. that they kind of push. Yeah. And, it, you know, their system's fine. You know, it, I'm all for it. You know, they make it easy. They make it simple. It's this is, you know, I think Doug mentioned it in one of our other episodes. You know, they 
give you a list of paints. And if you want your model to look like this, these are the paints you use in the order that you use them. And I think that's great. It helps get people involved and, you know, as, as a gamer and as a gamer with more than one army across various systems, most of which aren't painted, even I don't like seeing unpainted models. And I have quite a few unpainted models. You know, there, there is nothing better than sitting down at the table and you get out all your painted models and your opponent gets out all his painted models and you play an awesome game on a cool tabletop with interesting terrain and, and neat stuff. You know, it doesn't matter what it is, even if it's Warhammer or like flames of war, like I play, which most of my flames of war armies are painted, but um, yeah, it, you know, like it, it's great. And you know, if you go into a game store, you don't see a lot of that. And it's a shame because you know, it's really fun. It's the part of the hobby I enjoy the most. Well, I, I have to say, you know, I've, I've always been interested in sci-fi modeling, but, you know, we've, we've talked off the air uh, about this exact thing. But the secret sauce of what's really brought me back to science fiction modeling is whether it's Gundam or whether it's these Warhammer kits or even traditional subjects like, you know, the Bandai vehicles and droids it but you've got these modelers uh, yourself included that are bringing armor finishes chipped paint and washes and rust and so, so you're sort of bringing what have always been traditional military modeling processes and you're bringing those to these science fiction subjects and i think it makes it just so much more intriguing from a visual standpoint when you're when you're bringing that approach to a science fiction subject, it it all it's almost like it makes science fiction, which is you know by its very definition kind of a you know a fan, has a fantastical element to it. It almost makes it more realistic and more palpable, if that makes any sense. No, no, it it totally does, and you know I, I'm happy to see that that like weathering your Warhammer models has gained in popularity. Um, just based on what I've seen on the various forums and Facebook groups and in YouTube videos. But, um, and this is not a knock on, on them, on, on these painters, but a lot of it is what, you know, as traditional scale modelers, we would call kind of rudimentary, you know, like they don't really embrace using oils for weathering or using enamel product. Like that's kind of the new thing now I've seen in some videos like, Oh, you know, there's these enamel products you can use and you can remove it with white spirit or enamel thinner. It's way different than, you know, a games workshop games workshop, Agrax Earthshade wash. And it is. And um, yeah, so that that's cool. And I, I like seeing that and I've been doing it, you know, for a while, you know, I'm not, I'm not some trendsetter or anything. No one learned it for me because I'm, I don't have an online presence like a lot of these people do. Um, I just did it because when I started building scale models that, you know, that's the way I saw, Oh, this is how you pin wash. I'm like, Oh, okay, that's cool. And then I just took that and applied it to a space Marine. And, you know, now it's kind of catching on. And, and again, I'm not claiming any credit for that. So don't, don't misconstrue what I'm saying. I'm glad to see, but I'm glad to see that people are doing it. But, you know, I, I like when I was posting pictures of the war suit on some of the Facebook groups I'm in, and I think I sent you that one that one screenshot, Scott, where someone's like, oh, it needs needs more dry brushing. And uh, I was like, no, man, like this is this is like hairspray chipping, like like the Mike Rinaldi method. 
this isn't dry brushing. Not that there's anything wrong with dry brushing. You can do dry brushing properly and make it look really nice. Um, which I think you, Scott and I, you have, we've talked about before, but, uh, yeah, it, like these are kind of alien concepts to a lot of hobby miniature painters. And I'm, I'm hoping, you know, that some of these scale modeling techniques become a little more prevalent because I think it's, it makes it a little more interesting. Hopefully you guys are having fun listening about that. I know we've kind of rambled on and on here, but TJ, let's circle back around and uh, why don't you walk us through on those, those suits, uh, kind of what your, your finishing process looks like. Just give us a basic overview uh, of what you do and how you approach it. And then uh, let's go from there. All right. So especially, I mean, with anything, I typically do sub assemblies and, you know, anyone that's built scale models is probably aware of, of sub assemblies, but some uh, more game enthusiast miniature painters probably may not know, but it's, you know, you, you build as much as you can to where you're not going to put yourself at a disadvantage or make, make painting it harder. You know, when you build a tank, a lot of times that'll be, you build the hull and then you build the turret, but you, you leave them separate. Or sometimes you leave the running gear off or the fenders off, like on a tank. You know, obviously a combat walker doesn't have fenders, but you know, they have armor plates that strap over like the endoskeleton or whatever you want, the, you know, the actual machinery. So you leave the armor plates off so you can paint those separate because they're a different color. They're, you know, your armor color. And then the interior is your, I use, you know, like a, like a gunmetal color, like you know, it's made out of steel or whatever. So that's what I, how I try to do it. You know, I, I don't want to make more work for myself by making it more difficult to paint, but at the same time, I don't want to make it. So I've got so many sub assemblies that I've got to pick up each individual one, paint it, set it down, pick up the next one, because at the same time I want to get, I want to get it done. You know, it's not a 35th scale Sherman that I'm going to spend 60 hours weathering. No, this is one unit out of 40 that I've got to get done. So, you know, all that, if if you're working in too many sub assemblies, you're just making more work for yourself. It's going to make it take longer to paint. You'll get less painted, which is not the goal. I use Mr. Surfacer 1500 as a primer cut with Mr. Leveling Thinner. And that's something I've been pushing a lot in, in the non-traditional scale modeling Facebook groups I'm in. Like, Hey, you know, there's, there's more stuff than the Vallejo surface primer garbage. Like just throw that crap in, trash can where it belongs like i did years ago and trust me you'll never be happier everybody out there that's tj at plastic that's right (laughs) yeah changed my mind yeah no no that's that's a great point put my face on that on that meme vallejo (laughs) vallejo surface primer is garbage changed my mind but guess what you're not going to because i already know that it is he's by the way he's he's 100 and sidebar Go into uh, like a Warhammer painting group and say that, and you would have thought someone just slapped the queen. The 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 way people react, like, oh, how how could you say that? I'm like, oh, because I know better. That's that's how I can say that. I I can't I can't concur because I've just never used the stuff. You're not missing anything. No, I know. Why would I? I use the Mister Leveling Servicer, yeah, 1500, and it's wonderful. Wonderful. Hey, TJ, if, if somebody doesn't want to use the Mr. Surfacer 
primer because it, it is a lacquer based right. primer. Um, what else could they use as a really good primer to put as a base under their miniatures? If you're sticking with water-based acrylics, which there's nothing wrong with that, just there's better ones in Vallejo surface primer, get Badger Steinle Res or Ammo One Shot. It's the same stuff. It's just repackaged and use that. That That's my other go-to. So um, on larger stuff, I will typically use the Steinle Res just because I don't use... Um, an extractor. I don't use a spray booth. Chastise me all you want. I know I probably should. My current setup doesn't really allow me to use one where my desk is. If I was to pipe it outside, it would be too far away. So I just rely on my respirator and keeping people out of the basement while I'm painting, which is not hard to do. So the respirator is very important. Yeah. One other trick you can do is you, if you have a window that you can open anywhere near, you can use a fan and blow yep. you know, blow the fumes to the window. And I, I do have a window in my basement. It's not really near my where I paint, but it's not too terribly far away. I mean, I can open it and it does help get air circulating in the basement. But uh, yeah, so I recommend Badger Steinle Res. I like it. I've got uh, like six different colors. And they make even more colors than I have. I just didn't feel the need to buy them all. I mean, they even make like a gold and it's, it's pretty good. And they're, they're all good. It dries quickly. It doesn't pull up like Vallejo surface primer does from masking tape. It's sandable to a degree, not, not as much as like Mr. Surfacer and other lacquer primers, but better than Vallejo surface primer, which just comes up in sheets. If you try to sand it. Your lacquer-based paints have that, you know, they're hotter, and so they actually are going to bond with that substrate layer of plastic, you know, by really kind of toothing into that plastic, and it's going to be very, very durable. But I found, I'm a huge Badger fan. All my airbrushes are Badgers, and the Steinle Res is a really quality product. And, And one other thing before I let you keep going here, TJ uses all kinds of Vallejo products. So don't think that he's got a vendetta against them. It's just their primer sucks. Yep. He, he uses their paints and their finishing products. Yep. And, and so, so do Doug and I. So they make good products. It, it's just unfortunate that their primer isn't one of those. Yep. Go ahead, TJ. Sorry. That's okay. Uh, so, yeah, you know, I always prime, especially, you know, a gaming miniature that's handled. It's a lot, you know. You see a lot of painters on YouTube that paint traditional scale models that don't necessarily prime. And you can usually get away with that if you're building a tank, especially if you're using lacquer paints to paint it. But uh, with, you know, a gaming miniature, they're picked up. They get knocked over. Unfortunately, they're moved around. The primer just helps. You know, it's not going to prevent everything. You know, if it gets dropped on the floor, it's going to get messed up. I mean, there's nothing you can do about that. Gravity is going to win. But, uh, you know, just getting knocked around on the table. I've never really chipped anything. So I always recommend primer. And then I, as I've mentioned in some of the other episodes, I am a huge fan of acrylic lacquers. In particular, even though I'm not too pleased with the company currently, I like AK Real Colors. uh, I use their olive drab paint, which I've mentioned when uh, we talked to John in uh, our first episode. It's my favorite olive drab. And my Space Marine chapter is all olive drab, so that's what I use. It's durable. It's got a beautiful finish. It's got an awesome color. As far as um, your paint chipping goes, because I think our our listeners are going to notice that right away because it just looks so fantastic. 
and understanding that paint chipping is probably we can probably do a whole podcast oh, yeah. just on that. But maybe you could just give them a really really quick run through as far as how you're going to chip that olive drab off of the model. I went with a chipped and worn look to these walkers, which I don't normally do on a lot of my stuff, just to expedite the process because it you know does slow you down. But since these are kind of like machines and they're like walking tanks, I figured, yeah, might as well. Um, so I went with like a, a reddish brown chipping color to kind of contrast with the olive drab paint, you know, so it's got like a reddish hue to it is, you know, red is complementary of green. So they look, I, I guess that's what it is. I don't know. Don't quote me on that. I'm not that good at color theory. I didn't go to art school. Uh, <laughs> no, I know they're opposite on the color wheel. I think that's complementary. Is that correct? Yeah, it is. It is, and it looks it looks great. So it's it, it's not red red, but it has a reddish hue to it, and um, I, it, it was a mix of some Tamiya, I think it was NATO brown, which is a, a reddish brown, and a little bit of NATO black, with I think a little bit of just flat red added to it, just to up that a little bit. And actually, you know what? It's if if you're familiar with Andy's Hobby Headquarters YouTube channel, I think it's essentially his quote-unquote chipping color that he's made a video about i think that's close to what i use he calls it his track mix and yeah he it's probably in a hundred of his videos it's something he uses on every build yeah it's it's similar to that that's where i got the the idea to use that color because yeah i thought it would work so yeah i you know i spray all that on there um you can use you know i did the hairspray what they call the hairspray method I didn't use hairspray. I've have in the past and there's nothing wrong with it, but I used, I think the ammo scratches effects, uh, two coats of that applied with an airbrush. This is all airbrush. And then you paint your color over it, which was the AK real color, olive drab mixed with Tamiya dark yellow one-to-one for like a lighter color for like a lighter olive drab. And then you just go at it with a little bit of water on a brush and I also use a bamboo skewer to like do some of this. If you look at some of the corners and kind of like on the knees, if you look at the pictures on our Facebook page, it's got like scratches. That's how I did the scratches. It was a bamboo skewer. So after you wet the surface, just lightly scratch it with a bamboo skewer and you'll get the paint right up without damaging. If you go too hard, you will go through all the layers. But you, since they're all acrylic lacquers, you got to work hard at it, but it could be done. So just gentle touch and you can get some really fine chips and it looks really, really tight. Yeah. Really quick for those who haven't tried it before. What happens is the water soaks through the top layer of paint and uh, you, you don't want that layer to be too thick. You want it to be um, kind of as thin as you can keep it, but what, you know, so you want a nice opaque coat. So the color looks good, but you don't want to go thick. And the other thing is, is you want to put that water on there and get chipping it right away. You don't want to let that top layer set up and dry and get really, really hard, or it's going to be really, really tough to chip that paint. And and like any new new uh, technique, you're going to want to try it on a paint mule before you use yep. it on a model before before you just do it. So grab that old P51 Mustang that you've got 18 colors of paint that's in the corner and uh, try that technique out on that and uh, see what you think. Yep, I actually use I think it's a 148th Spitfire top surface of the wings as a paint mule. And I also have um, an old space Marine Rhino armored personnel carrier that I use as a paint mule that I got. I think I bought it 
it came in uh i bought it secondhand from someone and he gave me like a really good price for him but it was a wreck when i got it but i got it for like five dollars so i don't feel bad using it for those of you listeners that want to see some more models that are chipped to check out uh, TJ's builds and also Doug's builds on our Facebook page. Doug, we, we just put some pictures up of Doug's ATST uh, that he built that has some really nice chipping on the top hatch. TJ's models all have chipping, you know, here and there on them. It's a, it's a great technique. It looks really terrific and realistic. So take a look at those galleries and you can see uh, the great work that these guys are doing on uh, paint chipping. Uh, anyway, so yeah, how's the rest of that finish going to go, TJ? So I try to do as much as possible with my airbrush even when it comes to mat if i have to mask because i feel like masking is still probably gonna be faster than me getting out the paintbrush and the paint and trying to go at it now i mean obviously you can't airbrush everything um which is a, a thing i hear a lot you know when people ask for airbrush recommendations and that's what you know a lot of the naysayers are like oh well you know you can't use it with everything that's that's very true but I don't think anyone's really claiming that you can. So, yeah, I, I try to airbrush as much as possible. And, of course, with any model, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be different. And then when I get to the point where I feel like I'm not going to be able to airbrush anything else, I switch to the regular paintbrush, and that's where I'll get out the Vallejo paints and Reaper Master Series and the Games Workshop Citadel paints. And I think I even have some P3 um, paints and a couple other. I mean, I've got... I don't know, four or five different ranges of acrylic paints. Scale 75 is another uh, water-based acrylic paint that I really like. And, and this kind of goes back to what we were talking about in our last episode. So, yes, you can airbrush those paints. Yes, I do sometimes do that. I don't prefer to, and I try to avoid it whenever possible. That's not to say it can't be done. If I have These to, if are I, traditional, yeah. traditional water-based acrylics you're talking about, yep. right? Yep. And you know, they, they'll airbrush, you know, they're just not going to give you, in my opinion, the performance you get from Atomia or, uh, MRP, or I'm going to assume SMS paints. Cause from what I understand, they're very much like MRP or AK real color. And that's just, I mean, that's just the way it is. You know, you can get good results airbrushing, water-based acrylics i'm not i'm never going to tell anyone that they you can't i just don't personally prefer it and so you you've got your detail painting done with your uh acrylic paints that you put on with a with a brush you've got all your airbrush and your your paint is chipped and then uh, what are your final final touches to finish that model off uh, throw some decals on there that's pretty oh, oh i like to use enamel washes so i'll give everything a um like a semi-gloss or a, a satin varnish. I like to use um, Tamiya semi-gloss, which I'm kind of running out of, but I also have some AK Real Color satin varnish. I use that on, I think, the Invictor Warsuit. It's pretty good. It, it, it's very similar to Tamiya semi-gloss. Yeah, it's not, it's not bad. I'm going to use it some more because, like, like I said, I'm almost out of the, the semi-gloss, which is my favorite from Tamiya. I love that but I have not been able to find it anywhere in stock. So but anyways, yeah, I give everything a code of that. I add the decals. I don't add the decals. You don't have to do decals on gloss coat. I don't care what anyone says. Gloss does not make your decal go on any better than it would. You know, it's just, that's, 
that is nonsense. That's old scale modeling dogma. And I think it needs to die. Now, it's not going to hurt your decals, but yeah, you don't have to. And I see that in wargaming forums and wargaming Facebooks all the time. Oh, you have to put a gloss coat on before you decal. You really don't. I've put on tons of decals on my Space Marine stuff without a gloss coat. They all went on just fine. No silvering. That That's just nonsense. So I'm going to throw that out. You can fight me about that too. I'll die on that hill. You do not need to do it. TJ. <laughs> no, no. I, I'm going to back TJ up on this one too. Um, the the key to getting good good decals, and again, this is going to probably be a, a complete um, you know podcast episode at some point. But you've really got to know the kind of decals that you're using and have the correct decal solvents. A smooth surface to start with definitely doesn't hurt. It's probably a a help. But like TJ, I I shoot for a semi gloss finish on all of my models and I don't have silver decals either. I, I never go for a, a full gloss surface. I, I also don't like to decal over a full flat surface, but that, like he said, that's kind of an old modeling myth and uh, you can get a really nice quality finish on your decals with no silvering um, by just making sure that you're handling the decals correctly and using the correct solvents yep. and, and, and uh, we'll, like I said, we'll do an episode on that at some but, point. Yeah, I, I only do the decals after the semi-gloss, just mainly out of habit, because I was also one of those, when I first got into it, like, oh, no, you have to do gloss. That's what someone on the internet told me, till I realized, no, that's actually not true, and have tried it myself. And I've put decals over dead flat Tamiya paint, and if anyone's used Tamiya XF paints, they are flat. There's, I mean... This is probably about some of the flattest acrylic paint you can get. And I've put decals over them and they've gone down perfectly fine. But um, yeah, I only do the the semi-gloss just because it helps with enamel washes. It um, They soak into the paint less. They're a little bit easier to clean up and they'll suck into the details easier with a gloss or semi-gloss than they will flat. They'll do it with a flat finish, but it's... I prefer the look with um, like a semi-gloss. So, yep. And then I do the enamel um, washes. I am a big fan of the the MIG washes and the ammo washes. They're kind of the same thing. Any you know, Or you could do an oil wash. That's pretty popular too. I just prefer enamels because they're pre-mixed and I can grab the bottle, shake it, and I'm good to go. I don't have to worry about getting it, you know, the consistency right. I'll let that dry. I clean it up if I need to clean it up. You know, seal it in with some uh, matte varnish, give it a nice dead flat look, and that's it. Put it on a base, and you're ready to go. Nice. Well, that's a great a great rundown and overview, and hopefully that's helpful for uh, you listeners out there. And, uh, you know, if you have any questions, make sure you drop us a line on our Facebook page, and TJ will answer you. And, you know, he can walk you through it, and um, I'm sure we'll be talking yep. more about this. I I'm uh, fairly certain we're going to get some feedback from this episode, so we'll see. And let me add this. If if you do something differently than TJ does and you want to discuss it and let us know, maybe I'm, we're all willing to try different things. Hey, let us know if you've got a, if you've got a system that works for you. Yeah, and, and I will qualify everything I say. I am not an expert. I'm not a person that thinks my way is the only way to do it when it comes to this stuff. This is my way. This is the way I like to do it. If you have a way that you like, I'm all for it. 
you know, I, you know, that's fine. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong unless you claim that you have to put gloss coat down before a decal or the decal is going to get messed up. That is an objectively untrue statement. But uh, if you like to do that, that's fine. You know, I don't care. Just like I like to put down semi gloss, you know, I don't have to, but I do. There's a million different modelers and a million different approaches. And uh, this is what works for us. And, you know, if you look at the pictures on the Facebook page of these suits, uh, I think the results speak for themselves. All right. So let's talk about some some new products, uh, maybe some stuff that we picked up, maybe some stuff we're looking at. Um, I'm going to go ahead and start. I recently bought a handful of these ammo shaders. They are, uh, from what I understand, they are essentially very thin acrylic based paint and you apply them with an airbrush they come in a bunch of different shading colors since the name shader so almost like uh, somewhere between a glaze and a filter yeah i would say they're kind of like a enamel filter but okay i guess i mean i watched uh mig jimenez's little explanation video on his youtube channel on on how they work and they're pretty interesting. I mean, they do exactly what they sound like. They, they shade, you know, they're really, really thin. You don't have to thin them. They're thin out of the bottle. They come in a couple of different interesting colors. I've picked up light olive drab, which really isn't a shader. It's a, like a highlight color military green, which is like a really dark, almost like a Russian four BO green starship filth, which if you know, that's classic. a classic, uh, Aptalung 502 uh, oil. It's probably the best oil paint color ever. It's oh, that's so beautiful. Yep. And you can use it for anything, not just on starships. I mean, it's great on on spacecraft, but man, I, I don't think I built a model weathered with oils that didn't have starship filth on it. And then I picked up grime, which is kind of like a brownish, dark brownish color. Earth, which is kind of like a light reddish brownish color. And... Ash black, which is a kind of bluish uh, black color. It's kind of interesting. Um, I've been playing around with them a little bit. I'm not a hundred percent sold on them because they take a long time to dry. The um, the bottle says to wait 24 hours for them to completely dry. But uh, the video I watched on them said you can hit them with a the hair dryer and they dry faster, which is what I've been doing. If I'll, let me throw that little tip in there, if you don't have a hair dryer in your painting area or a heat gun of some kind, get one awesome tool. I bought, I bought one for like $8 on Amazon. It's got two speeds. It's only hot. doesn't do cool or anything, but man, it just makes painting so much faster, you know, cause there's nothing worse than you paint something. You got to wait for it to dry. Nope. Paint it, hit it with the airbrush, move on to the next thing. Yeah. So according to his video, you can also wipe it off with water, uh, which I have not tried. Um, like if you spray it on and you don't like where it is, you can get like a, a cotton bud with some water dipped in some water and just wipe it off. I'm, I'm going to have to try that, but, uh, yeah, they're, they're interesting. Uh, you know, I, like I said, I don't really know what to make of them. I mean, they're really cheap. Each one was like $2 and 50 cents. So I bought the six of them for what? $15, $16, maybe not even that. They might've even been less. That might've been like $2 a piece. Yeah. I, I bought them from, from Patrick, as a matter of fact, cause he runs the, um, Andy's Andy Hobby Headquarters um, online store. Yeah, shout out Andy's Hobby yeah. Headquarters. You guys got like three shout outs. Oh, they're, they're awesome. Maybe. 
Patrick runs everything. Yeah, we're uh, friends on Facebook. He's a, he's a pretty good modeler himself in his own right. And uh, yeah, he's taking care of me with getting me stuff that you know I've ordered. And I know he has for you too. Yep, it took me almost a year to run down that one sixteenth scale Stewart kit, and uh, he got me one. Got me one off the boat from China. So really appreciated that. Yeah, so I, I've been using them. I, I use them on the Invictor Tactical War Suit that you can see on our Facebook page, and uh, I think I did all the shading pretty much with these, and uh, it turned out pretty good. It's it's pretty subtle, which is what I was going for. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would recommend checking them out. They're they're cheap. You know, if you don't like them, I mean, you're only out. You know, I would just get a couple that look interesting to you, and if you don't like them, okay, you're out five bucks. I mean, you could probably afford it. You know, if not, then you know, skip them. But <laughs> Anything else? Any new kits, figures, weathering supplies that you picked up recently? Not, not too much. Um, I've been really, uh, I think I mentioned them before. I've been really leaning into this uh, scale color acrylic paint. It's made by Scale Seventy Five. They're also out of Spain, like uh, Vallejo. So they're they're very similar. Um, I've been really really digging their uh, metallic colors. They have. Just awesome. Uh, the pigment is really, really fine, you know, for a, for a water-based acrylic. They're beautiful. I have a bunch of their, like, uh, steel colors. And then they have a bunch of interesting, like, gold colors. They have, like, um, it's called, like, decayed metal. And it's, like, a brown, like, dark, dirty, decayed golden color. It's uh, really cool. And then they have another one called uh, necro gold, which is, like, a greenish, you know, dingy gold color. Uh, just really interesting colors. Um, I've picked up a whole bunch of them lately. I even sent a few to my buddy David that lives out west because I was telling him how cool they are. And he was interested in them. So I, I bought a few from my local shop and mailed them out to him. So hopefully by the time this comes out, he's used them and he reports back to me that he enjoyed them because I love them. Sounds like cool colors. That greenish gold. Sounds like that might be kind of a good color to maybe model like corroded copper or something like that. Yeah. Um, they have a actually really cool, just traditional copper color too. It's called like old copper. Yeah. It's a really cool color. I, I love these and they're so smooth. They just go on so buttery smooth, you know, for if you've ever brush painted a metallic acrylic, a lot of times they're not that smooth because of the, you know, the metallic pigments, but these are really fine. Uh, yeah. So I, I've been really into those. Um, if you see some, I would definitely recommend grabbing a few. They're, they're cool. They got some, you know, a bunch of other interesting colors, like normal paint colors too, that I've picked up. I picked up uh, actually a war another Warhammer uh, kit besides my Tau guys that I already uh, talked about. I picked up one of their older Eldar Falcon kits. It's like a hover tank, and I really like that. I think it's really neat. I'll probably put a kind of a camouflage scheme on that and and use it as painting practice. But I, I really like that. You know, it's a pretty basic kit. I've never built a Warhammer vehicle before, but it looks probably what uh, it's pretty typical, I'm sure, of of other vehicles. And then on your recommendation, I picked up a couple of the Vallejo metal colors for some paint brushing work with those. I got, I think, steel and jet exhaust, and those look really, really nice. They've got a, a steel ball bearing in, inside to help agitate the uh, pigment. And uh, they look really, really good out of the bottle. So I'm excited to use those. And and then my biggest uh, new acquisition is I finally got my uh, new Badger Sotar V airbrush, which I've been waiting for. I'm a Badger airbrush guy. Um, They're great airbrushes. They're the best value in the market, in my opinion. 
they gave you a ton of bang for the buck and the sotars are the cream of the crop as far as uh, detail brushes. All right, Doug, I know you, uh, I think you picked up a few things the other day. What have you picked up in the last couple of weeks? Oh, I did. It was just yesterday, made a trip up to MRS Hobbies in Sandy, Utah. Excellent little shop. He's got a lot of, lot of stuff, a lot of kits and a lot of accessories, tools and weathering stuff. I picked up some things. I'm, I'm a really not a weathering master. What I've used in the past has been pastel chalks and oil paints, and that's it. I got some filters, some MIG filters, a couple of pigments, uh, enamel washes, the MIG uh, standard rust effects, and then I got a couple AK things, the gunmetal metallic, uh, new uh, extreme metal paint, and a couple of their... Uh, Weathering pencils, medium rust, and the chipping color. I'm looking forward to giving those a try. Just see how they work for me. And I picked up the uh, Bandai, one of the droids from Star Wars. I usually don't do the droids, but I got the R2Q2 kit. Oh, very cool. That'll be fun. Not cool, because he's a bad... It's just programming. Yeah, yeah. It's all just... (laughs) Just need to wipe his memory, and it's all good. All right. On this episode, we're going to do something a little different. We have a listener of ours, George Riddell. He asked us to do kit reviews, whether we built them or not, fresh out of the box or on our benches. He wants to know what we think. His recommendation was we do something rated by good, okay, or ugly models. We, we feel like it might limit us a little more, so we're going to do a one through five, five being best, and we're going to rate these models based on our first impressions. For uh, my kit, I chose the Trumpeter 132nd scale A4F. This has got a special place in my heart when I was a little boy. One of my best friends, actually still a friend of mine now, um, his father was a Skyhawk pilot for the Navy, flew for the uh, world-famous Golden Dragons off the, uh, I think it was a Ticonderoga, in uh, 1967. So we were kind of raised around stories of this plane and what he'd done and even watched him build, uh, this uh, gentleman build a uh, very large-scale remote control version of his plane, which he, of course, after four years of building, never once flew. That's the plane I want to build. I want to build his plane. I've got pictures of it. I've got pictures of him with it, and I'm really excited about it. I've taken this kit. I've pulled, uh, of course, pulled all the sprues out, taken a good look at them, cut some of the pieces off fuselage and wings. I checked the fits. Fits actually look pretty dang good on this kit. The uh, details pretty good. I would say you know the the cockpit will probably need a little bit of help but other than that i'm 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 thinking this is going to go really really well good good enough detail everywhere else the big complaint i would have about it is this uh kit comes with over 530 parts and i'm not a big fan of parts count making a good model i'm not looking forward to all the teeny tiny little little bits and pieces but uh whatever it takes to get the detail out there will probably be for the positive in the end I will grant you that about 200 of these pieces are, are weapon stores. So it's got, a, it's got a full range of weapons, a lot of bombs on it. In the pictures I have of this uh, man with his plane, that's what, that's what I want to model because that's what I've got. There's nothing as cool to me as a scooter. It's my favorite jet of all time. Just a cool little, uh, cool little plane. Doug, is that a good kit for a beginner? Is it more of an advanced build? Where would you put it in that range? It's probably more advanced. I would say that just due to the size and the parts count, I wouldn't. I certainly wouldn't start with a kit like this. Even though I, I know that the, uh, the fit seems pretty dang good, and I'm really excited that the hump on the back of the plane 
comes in two pieces, but they're not split down the middle. It's a front and back piece. And so that should make it a lot easier to mount that hump and eliminate seams without having to uh, do, do any sanding or putty or anything like that. So that's, that's my kit. I'm really excited to get to this uh, when the time comes around. And Scott, what do you have? Sure, sure. I want to do one that's a little unusual for me. I'm mostly a sci-fi and armor guy, but I do have some aircraft. And I have a kit that I decided I needed to pick up after I watched a movie. I'm a huge fan of uh, Miyazaki and his his films, his animated films from Japan. He's just fantastic. And his last film that he made was called The Wind Rises. In that movie, one of the aircraft that the main character that's in that story designed was the Japanese Type 96 Claude, the fighter that the Japanese uh, used as a predecessor to the Zero. It's a Carrier and land-based versions of that are available. The one I have is a carrier-based aircraft. It's an open cockpit, single wing, you know, monoplane, really, really nice looking fighter, has a lot of character and the paint schemes on it are really, really interesting too. Wingsy Kits is a fairly new manufacturer out of the Ukraine and the molding on this kit and the fit of the parts is really, really terrific. Now, I haven't completed the build, but I did test fitting and looking at the parts in the box, the riveting detail in 148 scale is really, really nice, really right on. And the parts, I mean, this is, I I would classify this for you aircraft modelers as better than Hasegawa. It's a nice little model. The pros of it are um, it's a fairly straightforward build. Everything has nice locating tabs, slots, things like that. So alignment of it's not going to be difficult. As I mentioned, the fit is really, really good. Cons, uh, I don't know that there's really a lot of cons to be had for this. I did buy a couple of aftermarket parts for it, some resin exhausts and a couple of resin control surfaces so that I could cut mine away and make them movable. I wouldn't really call those cons for the for the kit. It's very, very nice. Uh, really a great little model. As far as beginner kit or expert level kit, I would say this is probably kind of, I'm going to put it right smack dab in the middle at about a three. Certainly an expert is going to be able to really, really build a terrific replica of the Claude with this kit, but yet um, it's not complex enough that if you didn't have that many aircraft kits in your, under your belt that you'd be able to, you know, you wouldn't be able to make a really nice replica with it. So yeah, I'm going to call that a three. Uh, but if you like that aircraft, uh, give the Wingsy kits 148 scale Claude, uh, give it a look. I think you won't be disappointed. TJ, what do you have for us? Awesome. So I'm going to go with <laughs> my favorite whipping post that I've mentioned, I think in every episode, it's the, New Tool uh, Model 1941 Early Production KB-1 from Tamiya. Pros, it's a freaking Tamiya kit. I mean, that's that's really the only pro you need. It goes, I've, I've actually built this one, as I mentioned before. It's not painted yet. It just falls together. I mean, it really does. You know, I, I know Tamiya has a reputation of being shake and bake. And I mean, really... This kit pretty much was. Um, I think I built it over the course of two evenings. I mean, it's a KB-1, so it's not complicated to begin with. It's just a big metal box. But yeah, it it's, I mean, it's great. I, I enjoy the process. 
the entire way through. The gun barrel that comes with the kit is quite nice. It's slide molded. I chose not to use it. I used the metal barrel instead, just because that's me. The kit barrel is perfectly fine. I've seen builds with it used, and you can't tell, really. The fit is like a Tamiya kit. I mean, everything clicks together. Some parts, you don't even feel like you need glue. That's how tight the fit is. Even the turret, which is kind of complex, you know, it's not like um, got a weird like curve to it. It just fell together. No visible gaps. It was. It's just beautiful. The only real con, I guess there's two. With the actual model, it's the, there's no option for the screens on the engine deck. They're molded in plastic. Now, they're molded really fine. They look okay. But that would be an awesome spot for some photo etch, which I did not use. I just went with the, the kit part. Yeah, they're solid. That's right. Yep. Yeah. You know, after it's painted and weathered, most people probably wouldn't notice. Uh, you know, if you're a, a fan of Russian armor, you would probably know or notice. And or if you built the kit, you would know. And then the other con is just the price. It's it's expensive. I'm not usually one to shy away from from buying something that I want, but I think it retails for sixty dollars. Which you know, the KV one is a large tank. I mean, it's a it's a heavy tank, so it's big. But uh, is it worth sixty dollars? You know, I can't really tell you that. I think it was worth it for me. It may not worth it, be worth it for everyone. As far as like beginner or expert, I mean, this this is essentially as a Tamiya kit and a Tamiya armor kit. Anyone could probably build this thing. It would be an excellent first model, really, because there's nothing complicated about it. It's got link and length tracks, which I'm not using. I'm using some full model tracks, but the link and length tracks are gorgeous. They're, they're they're absolutely wonderful. One thing that I'm really looking forward to seeing yours, and then when I build mine, is the texturing to me is doing on their new series of armor kits on their, on their new Valentine on um, the new Stuart kit they did. And on this kit, you know, you're getting cast texture right out of the box. That's gorgeous. On this kit, you're getting the plasma cutting marks on the armored plate mm. sides of the hole and on the turret, the welds look really, really fantastic. Getting casting marks, those kinds of details in it are really a generation ahead of the old uh, Trumpeter series of KVs, which are really good kits. Yep, I would uh, concur. All right. Joining us on Episode 3 is a new friend of ours, Cameron Corliss. He's uh, local here to Scott and I in Utah. He has a YouTube channel. It's the Wasatch Modeler. He uh, does a lot of build uh, kit reviews, uh, even product reviews, and um, we're happy to have him join us. How are you doing, Cameron? Doing good. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, your channel and what you got going there. Yeah. So, I mean, as far as when it comes to modeling, something I did when I was young and I really didn't put much effort into it. I was actually using my mother's craft paints for most of my builds. And then I got out of it when I got into it being in my teenage years, like most people. And then um, when I got into college, I just really wanted a model of an F-22. I thought it was really cool. I'm like, oh, I, I could just build one. So I built that. And then I'm like, well, I really need an F-35 with it because you can't just have the one. And then it just took off from there and... I've been having multiple projects 
on the bench ever since then. So after that, I've been just progressing to go into like joining IPMS, uh, done a couple of competitions, got into there. So I kind of thought what was the next step. And I saw some people doing some YouTube content. And um, my profession right now is corporate training. And so I kind of looked at that and went, hmm, you know, I, I, th- I think I might be able to have a little bit of um, skills brought from my career life into this and try to to do that and also help my career as well. So I decided to, you know, start up this YouTube channel and, you know, demonstrate a few different uh, of uh, techniques, mainly aircraft modeling and going from there. Awesome. Um, I've been perusing your, uh, your YouTube channel there. Um, you've got a little over like 30 videos, 32, it looks like. Mm-hmm. Is that right? At the cool. moment, yeah. Um, and, and you're just going to keep them rolling. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, you uh, have a lot on, on World War II aircraft, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, is that kind of your, your favorite? Is that your love? Uh, I tend to just fluctuate with the ebb and flow of the Utah weather here. But when it comes down to it, I really like World War II history and a lot of World War II aircraft, especially like the weathering with it. And so that's one of my big passions. But modern aircraft is something that I dabble into here and there. But it's but I've been leaning more towards, I think, World War II just because of the extra fun you can have with the weathering. Absolutely. Tell me about the Tommy P-38. And I bring that up because mm-hmm. I have one and I've never built an airplane before. And that's probably the first one I'm going to do. And as a matter mm-hmm. of fact, before I knew you were coming on the podcast, I just happened to watch your build review on it. Uh, I think like last night or maybe the night before. Um, mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit more about that model, please. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great, great kit. I think there's, after building it, I wish that they had a few things in the uh, manual that kind of explains which they they say like you do this for A, this for B, but they don't necessarily identify that this is only used in G, this is only used in like the H. And so if you're going through building different versions of uh, with like different markings, it can be a little bit of a challenge. And I wish they had in the owners well in the, the manual to show which seam lines to fill because I spent a long time going through to try to find which seam lines need to be filled. And then after I built it, I put it on to a certain critique group on uh, Facebook and there's a few people that kind of went in and they said, Oh, actually this line needs to be filled in. I went, really? I looked for two hours and I couldn't find that info. And so eventually I was going to get this into nationals this year. And so I said, okay, well, if I'm going to enter it, I got to fill it. So I filled that up. So now I'm one of the better guys, I guess, to know which of the seam lines need to be filled. But uh, that's the only complaint that I had with it. It's a gorgeous kit. The barrels were very lacking. So I put in the master gun barrels, and I think that added a whole lot. And weighted tires were, uh, were another addition that were really warranted. And either that or if you do seat belts. What I did is I just had an extra resin seat lying around that I just threw in. Those just set it apart big time versus some of the other builds. So for the gun barrels, mm-hmm. I for one understand, and looking at the kit, I guess the 
all the barrels are connected to like a, a piece that gets hidden behind the cowling. Mm-hmm. How difficult is, do, I think I have the same, I have a whole collection of aftermarket I bought for it. And I think I have the master gun barrels. So how, mm-hmm. how difficult was it to line them up in that piece? Was it, mm-hmm. because I had heard some rumblings that like, Oh, it, it kind of sucks. Cause there's not a really good, cause I'm used, I, I'm used to building tanks where typically you just put the metal barrel into the hole where the plastic barrel is supposed to go. But it doesn't seem like this is necessarily the case. No, there's definitely lighting up. And when you have regular wings, you have two on the sides. And if it's a little bit off then you really, it's harder to tell, but when they're all four, right. like right there, <laughs> I, I had a lot of sweaty brows um, trying to get that lined up. And this is before the Edward kit. Um, so the Edward ones are, I think, the way I would go now because they have it all just lined up and you just replace that kit part and right. it's all lined up. But the master ones, I had to make sure, okay, which which one is the long one? Which one's the short one? Because they're staggered. And then also make sure that uh, they line up just right. And yeah, that that was a little challenging. But they, but they worked. It, I just plugged the ends and just kind of lined them up as best as I could. You'd probably even make well, a jig for it, but yeah, that's probably good. Maybe I try that. Um, I also saw you have a uh, a video for a Space Force A wing. Yeah, tell me tell me about that a little bit. Well, was planning on going into my first nationals and and this and that, and I was trying to look at different categories. What can I do to get into these different categories? And there's the humor and modeling, and then. I don't know if it was me watching Space Force on Netflix, which I highly recommend as well. And I went, wait a sec. There's all these people that are showing it like being Star Trek logo and all this. I'm like, well, hey, you know what would be really cool. And so it was like half an hour later, I see myself on Amazon buying an A-Wing and and scheming (laughs) up the plan. So um, tell us about, it looks like your uh, your YouTube channel's been going... I don't know, seven, seven months or so. Um, tell us about starting it and growing it and, you know, uh, getting subscribers. It looks like you have several hundred subscribers now. Mm-hmm. So talk to us a little bit about how that's happened and, and how much time you spend on it, maybe on a, on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the big things that I do to grow the channel by far is just putting on Facebook. And at first, one thing that I did that kind of boosted a lot of views, not necessarily a lot of subscribers. So I tried to look for big controversial subjects in modeling um, and, and be almost like a Will Pattison type situation and do some tests and just say, no, no, this is this is why you're wrong kind of thing. Um, so I've completely switched gears from there and tried to do a few other things um, and just try to be more of an educational thing that's my background right and so try to be more educational do product testing tips and tricks things like that but it's been a very big learning process i've been looking at what other people are doing not necessarily in in modeling but actually like even watching my wife's uh, fabric quilting videos and things like that and go hmm that's a good idea i should i should do that like with my new video where i have twin screens going on that's not really something you see much um in modeling videos at the moment so there's a few things that i've done to just try to boost it and what i've been trying to do is focus on more of just building the product and things will just come from there because 
if I try focusing on and being like, why am I not at 3000 yet? Why am I not at this level yet? And, and just trying to compare myself to others, I think that's where it just becomes unhealthy. So I think I've been mainly just looking at just trying to improve the channel and, you know, improve my content and go from there. And I think everything just grows from that point. I think that's a great approach. My favorite video that you did was the one where you um, looked at decal silvering, like fixing mm-hmm. it, and you did several you did several tests. That was a really good video, and mm-hmm. I thought it was a good length. I think it was eighteen or twenty minutes, something mm-hmm. like that, and and uh, it had really good content. I think some right. people like to let their their YouTube channels or uh, maybe their podcast uh, <laughs> go go too long a little bit but I I, I like that approach and mm-hmm. uh, your Bondic review is another video that I thought was a really good one I really enjoyed your uh, uh, gap filling with uh, Sprugetti <laughs> although I, I I preferred angel hair plastic as the term to use that's the one I preferred so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and to be honest, I don't even usually use that methodology. I'm actually playing with gap filling with Bondic now. Um it is as a different method and it's worked well. But I'm like, you know what? Let's have an experiment. I put in that video and like I don't want to say that this is the best method, but it's something you could try. It's something you could do if you want to use it in your toolkit. Definitely not compl- <laughs> definitely not claiming it's the best method out there. So, but yeah, that was fun. So I know you brought up Will Patterson and mm-hmm. before we started recording, you talked about scale modelers critique group or SMCG as, as a lot of us call it. So mm-hmm. I, I've been a member for a number of years. That's actually how I met Scott. I, I mm-hmm. believe Scott, correct me if I'm wrong. I think that's yep. how we first yep. connected. That's true. Um, and I know you had mentioned that it's been helpful to you and mm-hmm. I, it has for me, I think, for me personally, it's really pushed my modeling to a higher standard. Not mm-hmm. that it, I don't think it's all that important or, you know, I'm not anything special, I think. But mm-hmm. just being around, there's a lot of really, really talented guys in there and mm-hmm. ladies as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, talk about that a little bit. How, you know, how, mm-hmm. how do you feel about it? Yeah, so I mean... the the way that I got in was Will Patterson because I was watching his videos and he just kept on saying, yeah, so the boys in SMCG said, and I'm like, who, what, what, what are, you, what are you talking about? And then eventually he fully said scale model or critique group. And I went, okay. Oh, Facebook. Okay. Okay. And then I joined and um, it, it's a very different atmosphere from other different groups. Um, they don't really have any attaboys or something like that. That's one of their claims to fame with it. And, if uh, you say something wrong, they will very much be apt to tell you you're wrong. Um, so it's really eye-opening for what for learning. I when I was originally getting into like competition stuff, I was trying to get more feedback, and and I was trying to open myself up to feedback because that's been a hard thing for me is to accept feedback. And so this has kind of got me out of my shell to just very much. Uh, admit humility and go to these people that are definitely better than me and learn from them. And there's been a lot that I've learned. So like with the P38 builds, um, I, I think it was, thought it was pretty good. And like, but 
let's see what they think. Let's see what we can, you know, glean from there. There's a few people that were looking at kind of the paint chipping and they're like, mm, I would change it a little bit. So I changed it and, and that part is very subjective, but then very much like a, a seam line. Um, I'm trying to remember if it was Tony Bell or somebody in there that was threw up a actual schematic and said, Hey, no, look right here. This is a schematic. So this is actually supposed to be a panel. I'm like, Oh my goodness. Where were you two months ago? Thank you. And so then that led to filling on that and knowing more about the aircraft. And and uh, the other thing that has helped really, too, is as I started with YouTube, the guys have been in, in that group. A lot of them are YouTubers, and they are awesome about giving critique. Um, there's a lot of things that they kind of went in there and like, man, um, I might take a few notes from you. Or there's a few things that they're like, well, you know, I would try doing this a little different videos try to make sure you have better lighting um try to do this and this and this and that will improve so it's been just gigantic learning opportunity versus just some of the chaos that you can see in other facebook groups i mean it's it's hard to get uh honest critique mm -hmm. in a lot of places on mm -hmm. facebook and I, I get it you know mm -hmm. to a degree and I, I don't know how much you've listen to um, or if you've listened to our other episodes but i i started as a miniature painter for like wargaming mm -hmm. and typically in those circles it, like you can't say anything negative to anyone ever like in in right. by negative that means anything that isn't oh man that's awesome mm -hmm. like not it, it so for me coming into somewhere like smcg it was like oh man there's like oh you can actually tell someone that there are things that could be better that's almost like revolutionary <laughs> mm -hmm. and uh kind of refreshing because you know I, I i don't like criticism as much as anyone else that's unwarranted but you know i'm also the first to admit that yeah any everyone can improve i don't care what you do or how good you are at it everyone can get better at whatever mm -hmm. it is T yeah. tj's tougher on his work than anybody else at cmg <laughs> is he's he's a pretty harsh critic on his own stuff seems to me like the the people that have strong online following like you know uncle night shift and, mm -hmm. and everything are the people that they don't take themselves real seriously they they realize there's a there's an element of entertainment to it the editing is is really good the videos aren't overly long they're well shot and so that sort of consumer element of you know somebody logging in they want to learn something but they also want to be entertained mm -hmm. Um, I think is really, really valuable. And I think uh, your channel's doing a good job of kind of moving in that direction. And I think you're going to be really successful with that. Well, thanks. Appreciate that. Well, what do you want uh, people to know about your YouTube channel? What uh, Do you have any special content planned or mm -hmm. some new videos that you're working on right now? Yeah. So right now I am going through a couple processes of the tale of the three little fucka wolves getting through let's see the uh third part of um doing all like the painting and different things i'm waiting on a new compressor you can actually see part of my failure wasn't sure what happened during that video in the video i thought i was just mixing wrong but then as i was doing more with my airbrush i figured out the actual problem was consistent airflow and so that's probably actually going to be an upcoming video where i'll show you what the difference is between a basic 
old, decrepit, dying compressor versus a new compressor with an actual air tank and everything. So I'll show you what that benefits. But what I want to do with this multi-part series of building these little FW190s is to show you weathering processes throughout the whole setup. And we're going to vary it. So I have three of them. So cockpit, um, I just kind of played a little bit with it. But then when we get to pre-shades, I did different options. So kind of did the panel light and pre-shading. I did some black basing tech techniques. And then with uh, the third, I just kind of did some randomness and just tried to experiment a little bit and see what the result is. And then after I put up the all the paints, all the all the rest of the modeling scheme and everything, I'm going to go in and try to experiment a little bit with filters. So that'll be coming up on probably part number five, where we'll put in like dot filters. We'll probably make an actual filter or buy MIGS filters and go in and filter to variate as well on top of that. And uh, just kind of go through the additional weathering processes through the whole build, but have three different variants to kind of show you and contrast the different ways you could approach it. Yeah, that sounds really cool. What kind of paint do you like to use when you airbrush? Yeah, so right now, um, and I'm going to get a crazy amount of flack from the SMCG guys, I do a lot of Vallejo. <laughs> but right now I use a lot of acrylic, not necessarily because it's the best or anything like that, thing that I like about just acrylic is, A, um, doesn't smell, and I'm sharing the, the room as a hobby room with my wife. And so want to make sure the apartment doesn't stink up every time I paint. As far as when I can smell up the place, I will, I really like MRP, and I've been trying like the AK Real Colors. And that mix with uh, Mr. Leveling Thinner has been really good. And so I like that. But for sake of just easing, ease of cleanup and just not smelling up the place, not needing to ventilate, I use a lot of acrylic. Yeah, when you have an apartment, I think that's, I mean, you have to do that, right? You, you, you don't want to have the person you live with move out because you're using lacquers and they get tired of the smell. Yeah, when we need to stress my marriage here. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do that enough on our own as it is, right? As exactly. Guys. <laughs> How many times has she come to the model store with me? <laughs> Speaking of model stores, one of our things on our show is the local hobby store shout out, local hobby shop shout out. Who do you like in our area? Well, actually, I uh, know Doug at MRS pretty well, but you guys have already pitched them. So if I was going to throw in another pitch, probably uh, the guys over at West Valley Hobbies that are technically Riverton out there. I'll go out to there. Yeah, it's but a very since good Since you show. beat me to the punch with MRS. <laughs> I, I don't think you can go wrong with either store. I mean, they've got they've got big selections of lots of different things. Awesome. Any interest in science fiction modeling, any gunplay in the, on the horizon or any Warhammer, any stuff like that? I haven't done anything on there and I don't know, it might be something that once I do get started, then everything gets kind of put aside, but I don't know. I'm, I'm a really big aircraft guy. 
Um, actually, I've done some pilot training in this and that, so that's where my love is. So beyond Star Wars Bandai, I think that's probably as far as I would go into that realm. It's hard to go wrong with those. They're they're pretty awesome. Yes. How about how about armor? You have any interest in any any armor? Yeah. Uh, the thing that I like about armor is I can just spend almost it seems like a night or two just building it, and then you're right into the painting and weathering and all sorts of stuff, throwing mud on it, and so that appeals to me. But I don't. I'm not a super expert in all that, so it it gets me out of my shell and. I'm able to do a little bit of something different. I'm, I'm switching gears and and doing very much basic learning of weathering and all this stuff. I've got got T34 that's on the shelf of doom that I'm just kind of slowly getting to, and it, I, I just hate the look of it. So, but I've got some other stuff that I built that I do like, um, and I've got a Tamiya uh, Panther that I'm kind of eventually going to get to, and I've got a World War One Mark IV tank that I think turned out pretty well. And of course, got to do with some of the tune tanks. So I've got a little bit of armor. <laughs> yeah, they get a lot of hate, but it, yeah, I helped my daughter build one, I think, two years ago. It was pretty awesome. I'm not, I'm not even going to lie. I was like, man, this is actually, this thing's kind of cool. It was a little Sherman. Well, yeah, I wanted to do one of those that was the red one with Santa. And I wanted to build one of those <laughs> and have it be for IPMS. And it would be like the war on Christmas and have like a diorama. But yeah, it, it became January and I lost, you know, interest in it. So yeah, a lot of us lost a lot of interest in a lot of things this year. Fortunately, we have modeling to help us uh, kind of weather this storm, right? Yep. Awesome. Well, any, anything else you want uh, our listeners to know about Wasatch Modeler? Uh, maybe uh, give them the Facebook page, uh, spell spell the YouTube channel for them. Anything else you want to talk about? Um, so I don't really have a, you, I mean, uh, a Facebook page. It might be something I'm going to launch. Um, but so uh, diving into Wasatch Modeler on Instagram. So that's just brand new and looking at uh, trying to expand that a little bit. But my main focus very much is is very much YouTube. So W-A-S-A-T-C-H and then Modeler with one L as we do in the States. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. And we will definitely be hearing more from you in the future. So So thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks, Cameron. Appreciate it. Mm -hmm. We want to hear from you guys, uh, what you like, questions that you have for us, uh, suggestions. You can let us know who your favorite hockey teams are, whatever you want, whatever you think is. (laughs) (laughs) You can leave your feedback, of course, on our Facebook page, which is Plastic Posse Podcast. You can email us at plasticpossepodcast at gmail.com. It's really, really easy. Like I said leave uh, earlier in the episode, leave photos of your builds, questions, comments, uh, message us, just whatever you want. One other thing that you could really help us do, if you enjoy what you're hearing, leave us a review on, on whatever platform you're listening to, especially if you could leave us a five-star review that really helps the algorithms uh, and the search programs that they use to help our podcast reach more listeners when you do that. So if you wouldn't mind leaving us a rating, we appreciate it. I just want to remind everyone to visit our sister scale modeling podcast. 
Uh, down in Australia, we have On the Bench with Dave, Ian, and Julian. They're on episode 93, so getting ever closer to that episode 100. We have Plastic Model Mojo with Dave and Mike. They're on episode 21. And we have Scale Model Podcast with Stuart and Jeff up in, episode, uh, up in Canada, and that is episode 55. So check us out again in a couple of weeks. we got another good show lined up for you, and we hope you guys uh, listen in. TJ, Doug, it was a lot of fun. We discussed a lot of subjects, and uh, looking forward to uh, talking with you All again right, in two weeks. All right. Take care, Bye. you guys. All right, have a good one.